0: So there were many movements in the early world at that time, and in every case, the would-be Messiah, the would-be Savior of the nation would appear and uh, then be run off the scene, either crucified or stoned to death, something like that. And this is what N.T. Wright, uh, he writes these words. He says, in not one single case do we hear the slightest mention of the disappointed followers claiming their hero had been raised from the dead. They knew better. And so when we read this account, as Wes read it, and then later on in the book of Acts, we see that there was great proclamation, and the word spread like wildfire through the then-known world. It always staggers me that Christianity started with a few people in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2, and within 125 years, it spread to the then-known world. And they didn't have cell phones or the internet or TV or any of the stuff we depend on. It was a people movement and God's Holy Spirit moving among his people. Well, some would claim, and uh, if you read popular media, of course, we're always inundated this time of year with uh, what some consider are the hoax of the resu- resurrection or perhaps even the fact that Jesus was never really a person. And uh, some would think it's the greatest April Fool's prank ever pulled, and yet, in these past few weeks and today, again, we're going to look at Jesus' self-declarative statements about his character, who he was, who he is. Uh, Whether or not you believe the Bible or believe in Jesus or believe he was a historical character, uh, just out of, let me challenge you, just out of intellectual honesty, you need to Uh, consider this text, whether you just take it as a piece of literature, as an ancient text, and you have to wrestle with the authenticity of what is written within this text as we have it with us today in our own language, and so we are blessed by that, but yet uh, there is a challenge whether you believe in Jesus or not. You do have to deal with a historic document that is worthy of your examination, And uh, this morning, we're going to John chapter 11. We have been looking at Jesus's declarative statements about who he was. And as C.S. Lewis said, he's either liar, lunatic, or Lord. Uh, There's not any other options. And uh, here at Grace Point Church, we know he is our Lord and our Savior. John chapter 11, if you happen to have a copy of your Bible, if you would uh, open it up to John chapter 11. We're moving back a few days before the triumphal entry, before... Uh, what we would call Passion Week, before the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, as recorded to us in John 20 there. And we're going back to see what Jesus said about himself. And we're going to this probably very familiar passage, if if it's not uh, familiar with you. You've heard of Lazarus, and Lazarus was one of those guys who died physically and then was raised again by the Lord Jesus Christ to life. Let me pray, and then we will look at just a couple of verses in this account. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you that you are the Almighty God, that you are eternal without beginning or end, and you are carrying out your perfect plan that you planned before the foundation of the earth, and you are carrying it out in your perfection and in your wisdom. And Lord, uh, give us eyes to see your blessings today. And uh, that we would be attentive to what you have for us this day and that lives uh, would really be confronted by your grace, by your love, and by your mercy. And we thank you for our children in the nursery and for those who care for them there. Thank you for our church family. I thank you for all the guests who are here with us this morning. And we pray that each one of us would go away from this place forever transformed because of this encounter with you and with your word. And we thank you that your Holy Spirit guides us in the truth, and we ask this morning now that we uh, enjoy this time and learn and grow in our faith. In Jesus' powerful name I pray, amen. Uh, You are familiar with Lazarus, of course. He was the brother of Mary and Martha, and uh, it tells us that Jesus loved them, loved this family, and we see him encountering them. In verse 1 of chapter 11 of John, it says, A certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Uh, Bethany's about a mile and a half, two miles uh, east of Jerusalem, so it's not very far from the center of the Jewish world, and uh, with an easy walking distance. And yet, uh, Jesus was away. And as you know the account, uh, he knows what's going on. In fact, in verse 3, it tells us, uh, in verse 3, that the sisters sent word to Jesus, saying, "'Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick.'" And when he heard this, he said, this sickness is not going to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. And then he waits. He says four days he waits. And there's a key to that, because in the Jewish mindset, uh, when someone died, their soul and spirit would hover around the body for three days. That was their belief. And so Jesus waited four days to make sure that everybody believed and knew that this guy was dead, dead. There was no chance of him coming back to life, and then there's some discussion with his disciples because Jesus, by this time, is a very controversial character, and the religious elite of Israel, as well as many others, were seeking to kill him or and they're going to get more uh, intense on that desire and In verse fourteen, even his disciples say, "Why should we go back there because they're seeking to kill you and Jesus said to his disciples, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And then Thomas, I love this passage about Thomas. We often call him Doubting Thomas, I think unkindly so. but he, And uh, he said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, so that we may die with him. And uh, I find that humorous, you know, okay, if he's going to go, let's go die with him and uh, And they went, but uh, so we see that uh, Mary and Martha are greatly grieved there 's a number of mourners who have come over from Jerusalem, and in that day, there would be great gatherings of people coming to mourn and I think Lazarus and his sisters were well known in the community in the area, and so they were uh, given a lot of attention when Lazarus died this death. In fact, I think of Lazarus, and I think of this letter that a person received from Health and Human Services in Greenville County, South Carolina, which read, your benefit checks will be stopped immediately of March 1st because we received notice that you passed away. May God bless you. <laughs> and then they ended the letter by saying, you may reapply if your circumstances change. <laughs> now, now, Lazarus, he could have reapplied you know because we know the story that Jesus did call him out from the grave and he came out in the grave clothes and he was brought back to life but remember that Lazarus had to die again can you put yourself in Lazarus's place you know when you think about it he's been dead 4 days and uh, we know Paul later says that absent from the body present with the Lord and Lazarus is with the Lord and uh, you know in heaven with God and he gets called back back to this world of pain and adversity and problems and uh, so that's something to keep in mind but uh, Jesus makes a declaration in this passage let me read verses 17 through 26 to get the close context to what we're looking at so when Jesus came he found that he had already been in the tomb four days now Bethany was near Jerusalem about two miles off And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. So Martha is there. Great grief, their brother has died. And one of the commonalities of all of us human beings is that we have loved ones who die, and we eventually in our mortality will die. And yet Jesus makes self-declarations about who he is, his character. That is the beauty of the Gospel of John, is Jesus' declarations about who he is, his character, his person, his promises, his peace, his future. And so he gives us very real declaration of who he is. In verse 25, he possesses supreme power. Jesus self-declares that I am the resurrection and the life. We have been looking at some of these I am statements and of course the I am statement is a reflection and echo out of Exodus chapter 3 where Yahweh God is addressing Moses and Moses says, Who shall I say sends me to, to Egypt when I see the people? Who shall I say sent me? And God says, I am that I am. It's the most personal name of God. It is the most critical, central name of God himself. There are many names that God uses throughout scripture. And so this is an echo, and we may miss it, but first-century Jewish people did not miss that he was equating himself with God. And that was foreign to their thinking. They said, I am the resurrection and the life, and he has the power to raise the dead. When we think of resurrection, it's raising whatever is dead up to life. You know, there may be many dead rabbits in our lives, but we never can raise them to life or our loved ones or ourselves. We do not have that power. There's an incarnational presence in that power. It is plain speaking here. Do not miss it. Jesus is saying very clearly what is going on. It reminds me about those who need to speak clearly. I read another article about a worker in a factory who refused to sign the group insurance plan. And until he signed it, They could not institute the insurance plan. Everybody else, all the other employees had signed this plan, and he held out stubbornly. The foreman took him to task and begged him to sign. The shop foreman pleaded with him. The plant superintendent, the general manager, HR, all those guys pleaded with Guy that he would sign, and he still refused. And finally, the owner of the factory came and sat him down and said, Listen, if you don't sign up, I'm going to fire you. The worker grabbed the piece of paper, signed it immediately, and the owner was shocked. He said, now, why didn't you sign this before? And the man replied, because no one explained it as clearly as you did. (laughs) You know, Jesus is speaking very clearly here. Like we said last week, you know, C.S. Lewis's famous quote, liar, lunatic, or Lord. Only a liar or a lunatic who didn't have the power would say he could raise the dead. I am the resurrection and the life. And yet Jesus, as Lord, claims that claim. One writer wrote about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and said, The great Easter truth is not that we are to live newly after death, that is not the great thing, but that we are to live the here and now by the power of the resurrection. Not so much that we are to forever live and may live, but now that we may live nobly because we are to live forever. For those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, eternal life is our possession now. Yes, physically, we will either be translated, transported to heaven in the rapture, or we will die physically. And that is just a moment because for the believer in Christ, we will have eternal life as we possess it now. But not only does does Jesus claim to have resurrection power, life-giving power, uh, he he poses an important question. Uh, he has supreme power here in verse 25. Death without hope is the greatest enemy. I was thinking this week as I read about uh, our military and they dropped some huge bomb in Afghanistan and it's uh, called a GBU-43B or massive ordnance air blast, or mother of all bombs is what they said. It's been, I read that it held 11 tons of TNT, great power. And yet when you think of raising the dead, that thing is a force of destruction, and Jesus Christ has the resurrection life. And so Jesus Christ is powerful. Paul in the book of Colossians, when he writes to the church at Colossae, Uh, answers the question, how powerful is this Jesus? In chapter 1, he says, He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. All things were created by him, both in the heavens and the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. He is before all things. In In him, all things hold together. We look at all the molecules and the atoms that make up our universe Jesus Christ is the one by a word holds all those things together. He is also head of his church, the body of Christ. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and he himself will have first place in everything. And we long for those days as believers in Jesus. Because he tells us there in, in Colossians that he delivered us from the domains of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He says, I am the life. He has the power to give life. Christ is the source of eternal life. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. There is created life. Each one of us here have created life. We were born. We were given life through our parents, and that is created life. It has a beginning, and yet it's called everlasting life. It is without end. And Jesus Christ has given us this created life. And yet God himself has uncreated life, no beginning and no end. And in his plan, he shares his uncreated life with us. That's why a human being in this physical frame can have everlasting life. It's only by his hand and by his plan that he does that. Jesus promises us everlasting life. This is the promise. Look at verse 25 again, if you have your copy. I am the resurrection and the life He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Every time I come in Scripture, and here's a tip for your own Bible study methods, when you come to a consequence, when you come to a consequence, and here the consequence is never die, never die, okay? What is the condition that we would never die? The condition is belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is very clear here. It's a propositional truth. And I know we live in a a day and age where propositions are out of favor with people. Propositional truth is out of favor because everything is just up in the air. I'll believe what I want to believe. Truth is no, what is truth? And uh, I read this story about Lloyd Douglas. Lloyd Douglas is the author of The Robe. When he was a university student, he lived in a boarding house near the university, And downstairs of his boarding house on the first floor, there was a a retired music teacher, very elderly and, uh, and in a wheelchair, very infirm, and he was unable to leave his apartment. And Lloyd Douglas, every morning, had a ritual with this older retired music teacher. He would come down the stairs, open the old man's door to his apartment and say, well, what's the good news today? And the old man would pick up his tuning fork, tap the side of the wheelchair and say, that note is middle C. It was middle C yesterday, it will be middle C tomorrow, it will be middle C a thousand years from now. The tenor upstairs sings flat, the piano across the hall is out of tune, but my friend, it is still middle C. Excuse me. The old music teacher discovered one thing upon which he could depend, one constant reality in his life, one absolute point in a world that changes all the time, And for us as Christians, the absolute point in a world that changes is the absolute of Jesus Christ and the hope of the resurrection. There's the promise of life for body and soul, the blessed resurrection. Oh, thank you. And in that, Jesus promises everlasting life. Philip Brooks Uh, He talked about that great Easter truth. But the third thing, Jesus poses the most important question. With Martha, at the end of that dialogue there, he says, do you believe this? And I think that is the most fundamentally important question in all the world, in all of our lives, that the question is, is do we believe him? shouldn't have eaten that frog. <laughs> <Yeah. clears throat> when we come to grips with the fact that in the gospel, in the message of the gospel, that we're more sinful than we ever dared to believe or more loved than we ever dared to hope, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he asks us to trust in him, to trust him for eternal life. He poses that question, do you believe this? In verse 27, notice Martha's response. She said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the son of God, even he who comes into the world. She calls him Lord, which means master, has authority over her life calls him the Christ, which is the Savior, Jesus' power in her life, and the Son of God reflecting upon his divine nature. I was thinking about Albert Einstein and Billy Graham, which seems like an odd match. But Albert Einstein, (coughs) (coughs) if I can get through this. Wes, why don't you come read this? This is right here. To point
1: out my notes. It's called tapping out. Yes. I'm reminded of Albert Einstein, the great physicist who was honored by Time magazine as the man of the century. Einstein was once traveling from Princeton on a train when the conductor came down the aisle, punching the tickets of each passenger. When he came to Albert Einstein, Einstein reached into his vest pocket, but he couldn't find his ticket. So he reached in the other pocket. It wasn't there. So he looked in his briefcase, but he couldn't find it. Then he looked in the seat by him. He couldn't find it. The conductor said, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. We all know who you are, and I'm sure you bought a ticket. Don't worry about it. Einstein nodded appreciatively. The conductor continued down the aisle punching tickets. As he was ready to move to the next car, he turned around and saw the great physicist down on his hands and knees, looking under the seat for his ticket. The conductor rushed back and said, Dr. Einstein, Dr. Einstein, don't worry, I know who you are, no problem. You don't need a ticket, I'm sure you bought one. Einstein looked at him and said, Young man, I too know who I am. What I don't know is where I'm going. Billy Graham continued in his message. See the suit I'm wearing? It's a brand new suit. My wife, my children, and my grandchildren are telling me I've gotten a little slovenly in my old age. I used to be a little more fastidious. So I went out and bought a new suit for this luncheon and on one more occasion. You know what that one more occasion is? This is the suit in which I'll be buried. But when you hear I'm dead, I don't want you to immediately remember the suit I'm wearing. I want you to remember only this. I not only know who I am, but I know where I'm going. (laughs) Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning we celebrate the wonderful truth that you have come to forgive our sin To take it on the cross and be done with it, to pay it, our debt, in full. We reflect on this this morning, Father, and are amazed, amazed by your astounding love. And Father, as we consider your word, consider our relationship with you in light of the the grand scheme of the entire universe that you've created, we're just amazed. We fall down in prayer amazed that you love us that much. And this morning, Father, we want to take that that amazement, that love, that gratitude, and turn it to praise and worship of you. And so, Father, I just pray this morning that each one of us here together under your name, both here, the other churches, and around the world, Father, we just turn to you with your spirit in our hearts and worship you in spirit, and in truth this morning like we've never done before, and that we would take a step closer to you than we are right now through your worship and through the worship of you, our amazing, risen, and perfect Savior. In this we pray. Amen. All right, Jesus, exalted over all. That's our new song.